Gracious God, we thank you for your word to us and pray that your Holy Spirit would accompany your word read and proclaimed to help us receive the fullness of your message to us, that this message would change our hope and therefore change our lives. We know that we cannot fully understand this without your help. So pour out your Holy Spirit upon us this day to change us, to renew us, to give us hope, to give us peace, to give us purpose for life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Today we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a long chapter. We're only looking at the beginning and the end, but there's a whole lot in the middle about what, what the resurrection means to us. I'll be reading verses 1 through 8 and then 50 through 58. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom who are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You may have figured out already, and if not, I will tell you one of my secrets. I like sitcoms. I watch a lot of them. Devon does not like sitcoms. She likes when they shoot each other on TV. <laughs> Actually, more about legal and medical shows. It's, it's all good. But anyway, one of the sitcoms I've started watching, it's not my favorite, but it's interesting, is The Neighborhood. Anyone watch The Neighborhood? Cedric the Entertainer and Max Green something, Greenberg, I think. Uh, anyway, um, on that show this past week, they talked about death. One of their neighbors, a very grumpy old man, had died, and they were processing what death meant. And the little boy on the show asked his mother, what happens after we die? And the neighbor, being a Christian, said, was trying to tell him about heaven and the promise of heaven and the the mom said, don't do that. My mom told me what to believe. I want him to be able to figure it out for himself. 
And so then they decided that the most wonderful thing about um, what happens next is we get to choose what it is that we experience there. If you, if you really like horses, your heaven will be a horse farm. If you really like playing bowling, your, your heaven will be a bowling alley. And they were very confident in this truth that they proclaimed to each other and then proclaimed to their whole viewing audience. And that is typical of what we're told to believe in the world today. What our culture says is true. The truth, of course, we say, culturally, um, comes from in your heart. Your reality is your reality, your truth is your truth, and your truth may be different than mine, but that's all good. But we as Christians have to realize that that way of thinking, it comes directly out of evolutionary thinking, not out of the thinking that there is a God who created us and to whom we owe our lives. There is a God in whom truth dwells. And there is a God to whom we answer. And when we answer to God, we will find that God tells us what truth is. God tells us what life after death is. And it is vital that we don't allow ourselves to be swayed by the thinking uh, that is not true. That is, when we get to the end, when we cross over from this life to the next, we discover that whatever we believed wasn't true. I mean, why do we think, why, why, does, why does our culture think that um, if I believe it, that makes it true? I mean, I could believe that a, that a cat is, directs the weather. So I could go to the cat and say, I want a sunny day tomorrow and, and expect that, that it will be a sunny day because I asked this weather cat that, that, to have it be a sunny day. Well, we know that doesn't work. Why do we think that just because we want something to be true or we imagine it to be true or we think it's true, that that makes it true? God decides what's true. Paul says, this is of first importance. Verse 3, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, appealing to authority, see, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is of first importance. Paul writes about a lot of things in this book to the Corinthians because they had a few different problems. But he says, this one's the most important of all. If you don't get the gospel right, there's no point. If you don't get the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ right, if you don't understand what it means, then there's no point in being a church. But it was interesting, in that show, they were dealing with death, and the little boy wanted to understand what death is and what it means to have died. What happens next? Now, I am not a fan of death. I don't like the idea. I, my personality type, I don't know if you know the Myers-Briggs at all, but I am an ENFP. Now, the P is the most important part. If you know Myers-Briggs, you know that people who are 
categorized as P as over against J's, we are the ones that, that are always in process. That's why we might be a little late sometimes. We're always open to new possibilities. J's, on the other hand, are the ones that are always on time. The ones, if you need something to get done right now, you want to ask a J because they will make sure it happens. Sometimes a J will get something done. It won't necessarily be the right thing, but at least it'll be done. A P will maybe never get it done because always they are trying, we are trying to figure out the best way to get it done. Well, as a P, I am open to all kinds of possibilities. My life is about possibilities. And one thing that I can't stand about death is that it shuts down the possibilities. You know the concept of a bucket list. We talked about it last week. This idea that you have certain things, a list of things you want to accomplish before you die. Well, what if you don't get through it? Brian Finlayson, a pastor in Australia, says, we fear death, it debilitates us. Our lives slowly slip away before our eyes with little achieved. Our dreams are great, but the limitations of our shell seem to undermine all we ever hoped for. Unrealized dreams, shattered expectations, compounded by the inevitable decline in energy and the ever-gathering cloud of death. I guess I'm not the only one that doesn't like death. Robert Louis Stevenson, it was said of him that he died with a thousand stories still in his heart. Keats said, I fear that I may cease to be before my pen has gleaned my teeming brain. Death makes things stop. We don't want things to stop. Or do we? Don't you have those days when you wish it would all just stop? Don't you have those struggles and trials and, and difficulties in your life that you just wish would be over, would stop? So maybe death isn't so bad after all if it makes those things stop. But it makes all the good things stop too. Or does it? The message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, is that for those who are in Christ, death means a stop, an end to everything that is wrong, everything that is bad, and a continuation but more glorious of everything that is good. You know, we don't like change. We don't like to go from one thing to another, one stage to another, especially, you know, when we don't know what it is. You know, think about when you were in utero. Do you remember? <laughs> if you were conscious at that time and someone said, would you like to stay here? in this known place where you're comfortable, where you're fed? Or would you like to endure an agonizing trip through a very narrow space 
into a world that will make you cry. <laughs> Most would say, I'll stay right here, thank you. But that birth opens up all kinds of new possibilities. That birth opens to new, opens you to new life, a life that can never be imagined in the womb. And for the Christian, that's what death is. We say, I want to stay here. I know this. I understand this. I know how to do this life pretty well. But God calls us to go to the next stage. And that's the, that's the point, one of the points I want to make today that I think is one of the most important points of 1 Corinthians 15. The, this whole treatise, really, on the resurrection, on what it means in 1 Corinthians 15, talks about the body. And what kind of body will we have in the resurrection? And Paul says, well, it's sort of like a seed, you know. You plant a seed, and it's a certain type of seed. And he didn't realize it, but that's because of the DNA that's planted inside that seed. And you plant that seed. And something new grows. It has the same DNA. You can't get an apple tree from a pumpkin seed, but you plant a pumpkin seed and a pumpkin vine grows. Uh, Paul says it's like that for us. When we die, we're, like, we're planting ourselves as a seed. And out of that seed will grow something new, something better, something bigger, something more glorious. John Updike wrote a uh, poem, Seven Stanzas at Easter. Here it is. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the am amino acids rekindle, the church will fail. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths that fuddled eyes in the 11 apostles. It was as his flesh. Ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, dies, withered, paused, and then regathered out of his father's might new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping transcendence, making the event a parable, a sign painted in the faked credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we will have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque with the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom, let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. This resurrection was a real thing. But this resurrection as a real thing connected eternity and time in a way that nothing else has. Jesus Christ in, in taking on human flesh and becoming 
fully human, took on humanity, and in dying in a human body and raising again is never the same as he was before, for Jesus eternally is human. Jesus eternally has connected us with God. And when we go from this life to the next, just like Jesus, when he rose again, he said to Mary, don't touch me, I haven't ascended yet. He walked through the wall to get, or the door, I'm not sure which way he chose to come in, to the upper room where his disciples were, not by opening the door and walking through, just by appearing there. And in so doing, he was demonstrating to us that he had a new kind of body. And 1 Corinthians 15 says, we are sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body, but it is the same body. We are the same person, but glorified. If this is what death is, our expectation may be great in this life. But there's no importance in what we have not achieved, rather in what we have achieved within our little moment, small though that may be. It is then that our perspective need not be shaped by what we have not done or achieved or all the opportunities. Rather, our vision becomes focused on the moment that remains. There, is all, there always lies before us new lessons to be learned. This is particularly so in that we are always changing and our environment is always changing. We grow older, we feel differently, we see, see differently. Shapes about us change, the cycle of life moves on. But given that death is not the end, then every moment has purpose every day an eternal shape. And every day, everything we do in this life, we carry with us into the next. For you will not be raised as an angel. And if you could, for my sake and, you know, for your own, please refrain from saying that God needed another angel when someone dies. Because that is not at all the case. When someone dies and they are in Christ, when he returns, they transform. They transform from the person they are into a new person that they are. <laughs> they are the same person. They are a human in God's presence, but glorified. So when we think about life and death, Death is the end of suffering and pain, but it is not the end. It is not the end of you. It is not the end of me. I want to say every time the bell rings, the angel gets its wings, but I'll refrain from saying that. Oh, wait, I didn't refrain. But my point is, this is really good news, you know? I am, um, you know, you, I grew up with the same images of heaven that you did, and I've, I've mentioned this before. I, I am not a big fan of playing the harp. I, 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 I never learned how. I, I'm not 
I mean, it's nice to listen to for a little while, but for all eternity, really? And I'm not sure what kind of cushioning the clouds have to sit on them to play my harp by myself, but the image just doesn't do much for me. Does it for you? The good news is, that is not heaven. That's an image that we've been given, but it is not what it's like. when, When Scripture talks about heaven, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. When Christ returns, he comes in the cloud, he comes from there in the clouds. And what happens in the, um, in that era is when the warrior returns victorious, comes into the city, and everyone goes to meet him. And then they come back to the city. They come back to the city victorious. I think that's a better image than this meeting him in the clouds and then going back, going up. The image is we meet him in the clouds, he is victorious, and he creates the new heaven and the new earth. And the new earth will be similar to this one. As Updike says, our joints will still move, our hearts will still beat, but they will be ever new. They will not wear out. And there will be no mourning or crying or pain, but a glorious existence. This truth isn't just for then. This is not just pie in the sky by and by. This is for now. Because when we know this truth, It changes everything about life. We know that what we do matters. We know that we are building what we will have for eternity. And we will live a life that is more joyous. Imagine uh, two people given exactly the same job. It's a rather mundane, tedious job. They are to work at this job for a year. And one of them goes to work every day, is always cheerful, is always grateful for the opportunity to work, is happy. The other becomes overwhelmed by how mundane this job is, how tedious it is, never goes to work happy, is frustrated, waiting for the end of that year where she can receive her pay. The difference between the two, the one who doesn't like her work, at the end of this year has been promised $15,000. The one who happily does her tedious work is promised at the end of the year $15 million. Knowing the glory that will come with that $15 million, she is able to deal with whatever mundane tasks are given to her. We, knowing the glory that will be given to us in our resurrected bodies live in these bodies joyous lives, grateful lives, lives lived in anticipation of what God will do. Frederick Buechner says, God brings back to life a new revised version of all the things which made 
him, talking about Christ, it's also applicable to us, made us the particular human being we are and which we need a body to express. New heaven, new earth, new body, new joy, new peace, new life. That is what Easter brings. That is what the resurrection promises. Don't miss it. Don't get caught up like the Corinthian church did on all kinds of other things and miss what is of first importance. Put your hope in God and God's promises. Live a life that is connected with eternity. For when you go from this life to that life, you will be ready and the joy will flow. Jesus Christ has accomplished this. All he asks us to do is trust it. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your promises to us, for the glory that has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And we confess that we get really caught up in the things of this world. We get really caught up in the investments in things that will not last. And we fail to invest in what will last. Even though the glory of eternity is ours, we still live this life as if it is mundane, tedious. So we ask humbly that you bring resurrection hope into our hearts and into our minds. And may that hope overflow. May we be preparing every day for that glory that will be revealed in us. And we thank you. We thank you from the depths of our souls that you have rescued us from the bondage to sin, decay, and death, and promised us life everlasting. Make that hope so real in us that it can't help but flow out of us and through us into the world around us. Make us Easter people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.